There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir. They have the car stopped at 10th and Grinch, Michael Biden. We still don't know who pulled the trigger. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon, a 27-year veteran of the NYPD. Tonight, we have a really interesting show, and maybe it's not one of the trending topics we have been covering, but nonetheless, it's a very, very important topic. And basically, it's the fentanyl crisis, and the title of it is, Did Washington Ignore Warnings About Fentanyl? And tonight, we have an outstanding guest, Jonathan Alpieri, who is usually a, a war photographer. He's embedded all over the world, uh, taking pictures of wars in on all continents. And he wrote a story this time, published in Tablet Magazine, about that very topic, did Washington ignore warnings about fentanyl? And we're going to do a deeper dive into what fentanyl means to this country. But I just in, in the first paragraph of his story, we're losing an entire generation due to drugs, said Michael Cole, the founder of Lawrence Wish Addiction Triage Center, an organization named after the daughter he lost to a fentanyl overdose. Growing up in West Virginia, Lauren was a strong student, athletic and kind to others at 16. She became addicted to opioids. She died on July 9th, 2020 at the age of 26. This could be anywhere in the country. We hear stories about this in New York in Ohio, in Florida, in California, in Wisconsin, every state in the union, we hear these opioid, these fentanyl stories. So we're going to take a deep, a deeper dive into that. And Jonathan has seen a lot of this. He's done a lot of research on this article. He spoke to a lot of people from the Drug Enforcement Task Force. And we're going to talk about what some of the problems are in regards to this. With me tonight, one of my co-hosts straight out of Brooklyn is retired NYPD detective, Phil Grimaldi. How you doing tonight, Phil? I'm doing pretty good, and I'm excited about our, as Aunt Bibi said in the chat, exceptional guest. This is going to be a good one. Absolutely. And we also have with us tonight a crowd favorite, retired NYPD sergeant, professor of criminal justice at Albertus Magnus College in New Haven, Connecticut. We got Mike Geary. How you doing, Mike? Good, Billy. Th good, Phil. Good to see you. I'm, I'm you know, you guys that are listening on like Spotify or one of our listening sites, you don't get to appreciate how many books Mike actually owns because <laughs> behind him, <laughs> behind him is his library. And he's, he's trying to impress us with his professorial. <laughs> he's like the bookworm from Batman, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> and with us tonight, and, and as I said, he's had an amazing career. He's actually been in, in, sort of journalism, photojournalism, I think for over 12 years. And he's been all over the world. He was actually um, kidnapped by Syrian rebels uh, at one time. Uh, he's a photojournalist. Uh, he was born in Paris in 1979. And uh, he, he studied, uh, he's, he's an outstanding journalist and an outstanding photographer. I don't want to give his whole resume. Here he is, Jonathan Alpiri. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. How are you? We're doing pretty well. Now, Jonathan, I want you really to, when you do a story like this, what were you actually looking for? What was you, what was you, what did you want to find? Did you come into it with any 
uh, preconceived bias, or did you go into it with a total open mind, knowing a bit about the fentanyl crisis before you uh, wrote this story? So um, <clears throat> I've been working on the drug wars for past 10 years, more or less. Now I've been very focused on it since 2019, 2018. And the idea is to produce a large body of work on the different parts, mostly in South America, the Caribbeans, uh, and North America as well, Mexico and Central America, and trying to understand why the drug trade has become so uh, strong and why the, um, so many Americans and Canadians are so addicted to drugs. And uh, I wanted to dive in and try to understand that one obviously doesn't go without the other. If you have a strong demand, you know, the cartels and different criminal organizations are gonna spend a lot of time and resources to, um, to push their drugs, produce them, push them, and take a risk to uh, have them move to, to North America. So I want to dive in. Obviously, fentanyl is just one portion of um, of what's going on. It's more the tail end of it. And uh, I'm interested in the entire picture from the production to the drug wars to how it's being pushed around and the addiction side of it. You know, one of the things that I learned actually when I was teaching uh, some organized crime courses at a college was that some of the same routes that were used during prohibition are actually used during the drug trade right now. Professor Geary, I could see you're salivating at this thought. What do you think about that? You see the, the uh, traffic of, of, you know, narcotics across America, uh, you know, going east to west, north to south. You see outlaw motorcycle gangs involved in it when it comes here to America. You know, once it's actually imported and lands on our shores, see organized crime figures. Uh, traditional anti, uh, traditional crime mafia family figures involved in this like they were 60 years ago with the heroin trade and the coke trade in the 70s and the 80s. Um, you see very similar patterns, cross-country patterns over decades and decades and, and decades. And um, it's the tried and true way to uh, get narcotics in through certain ports, New York, L.A., through the, uh, the main uh, areas down in California where you go into Mexico, uh, El Paso, places like that. And um, they're tried and true and, they're, and they've uh, lasted for 100 years because it, it works and it's going to continue to work, unfortunately. Absolutely. You know, Jonathan, before I get back to you, I just want to ask Phil a question. We had discussed this before we came on, is that the locomotive that pulls the crime train is drugs. So that has a direct correlation to violent crime, the use of narcotics and people usually, you know, 85, 90% of the time when someone's arrested for committing a violent crime, they were either on alcohol or drugs during the commission of it or, or and or both or a com combination of the two. Phil, you got any comments on that? Right off the bat, chronic use of drugs leads to violence. I don't think that anybody will try to, uh, you know, uh, deny that if you're involved in narcotic use sooner or later there's going to be some type of violence in your world but the thing about the fentanyl that's so scary to me is a few grains of salt comparison a few grains of fentanyl will get you high 
a few more grains will kill you. And the amount is so small that can kill you that when they bring in this by the kilos, it makes thousands and thousands of doses. And the thing that uh, one, one of the reports that I saw, the scary part is, is that they're not chemists. The drug dealers aren't trained in how to uh, cut this stuff up and make it where it's non-lethal. So again, people are accidentally overdosing. Maybe a person wants to be a, you know, a weekend warrior with narcotics, uh, snort some cocaine or smoke a joint, or maybe even, uh, you know, use heroin. And they're being poisoned because what they're taking, they don't realize they're not informed that this is actual, very, very potent fentanyl. And there's numerous, numerous stories. Just Google it and you'll find all the stories. Uh, it's really an epidemic. And I think the numbers, the statistics show that year after year over the last several years, the amount of people dying from fentanyl has just skyrocketed. So I think that the, uh, the numbers that are there, the statistics are there, this is a major, major problem. The United States needs to wake up and recognize it. The government, the military, law enforcement, uh, it's a problem that's not going away. Jonathan, I just want to refer to your article. And one of the things you said, I'm sure in your research, the United States consumes 85% of the world's opioids. That's, that's a, a crazy number. And three things you said. Here's the three problems with this whole trade. The, giant, the Chinese drug manufacturers, the Mexican cartels, and homegrown culture of addiction. Would you speak to that, Jonathan? Of course. Um, so I'll go in the same order that you just described. Um, China has been making medicine for the Western world for a few decades now and more and more. Um, when you look at COVID in France, for example, and it was true in the US, but not as much, France was entirely uh, needed. So when COVID happened, uh, people realized that 85% to 90% of um, medicine production for France, domestic consumption, was produced in China. For the US, it's less. I don't know the exact number. The reality is that China was making a lot of these things for us. And fentanyl, which is done legally as well, uh, was part of it. Now, the relationship between the Mexican cartels, so the top ones like Sinaloa or uh, the Jalisco New Generation, which is the big contender now, has had a relationship with what they call precursors, business people in China for the past 30 years. Uh, DEA has been on it, especially since the 1990s, but especially after 2006, when they arrested a Chinese uh, uh, citizen in Mexico City who had hundreds of millions of dollars in cash in his house and he was helping the cartels produce fentanyl and other types of drugs. So the way it works is that they, the, the Chinese are very proficient technically, so they produce the chemicals. And these chemicals are being brought to Mexico legally many in many uh, many ways because Mexico is also producing is also needing these medicines and going then into the United States um, some of these business people who are involved in that illegal drug trade uh, I'm sorry chemical trade uh, who already have a relationship with the cartels are not being stopped by the Chinese government. There was a push in 2019 by uh, the, the administration then to, under Trump, to try to curb that. 
no one knows if the Chinese agreed to it or not. They're very secretive about everything. We don't know. There was some pressure, some attempts by the White House. Who knows? But the Chinese are letting it happen because for a multitude of reasons. One of the big ones is it is a way, in my opinion, to, to lesser the U.S. population. And, and what I mean by that is they know that Americans have an addiction problem. And that's more the cultural side. And the addiction could be from sugar consumption to pornography to horror movie to all kinds of things. Obviously, I'm listing a wide array of issue of things. Uh, drugs, obviously, is a big one. And they know that. When people tell me that the Chinese are going to wage war against us, I don't buy it. And the reason is because they don't really need to. We are destroying ourselves perfectly on our own. So there's no need to, to do anything. Jonathan, I thought you weren't going to be controversial tonight. <laughs> That's I mean, okay. truth sometimes it. hurts, Billy. The truth sometimes yeah, yeah. hurts. I, listen, I love this, the United States, and it's given me everything. And I don't like the way it's turning out to be. And I know you guys don't either. And it's not the country that I, when I came in 30 years ago, it wasn't like this. I mean, there were hints of it, but now it's full out, for, you know, you can talk for hours about it. But um, the other problem, obviously, is open border policy with Mexico. And uh, last, you were talking, uh, Phil, about casualty counts for fentanyl. Last year was 74,000, which is probably a low ball count. They don't really know, but the officially is from DEA or CDC, 74,000. Plus the rest of all drugs, all inclusive is maybe 100. It's officially 109,000 deaths last year. In contrast, in Europe, within the Schengen area, which has close to 500 million people, 6,500 Europeans died of a drug overdose. In the US, it's a less population. It's over 100,000. There's a problem. And the other big, and then I'll stop there and then we'll continue, but uh, is the pharmaceutical companies who have been selling to us through advertising and, you know, using doctors by paying them. We all know how, how now we know how they did it, is to, to say, well, kids need Adderall and they need Zynex and they need this and they need that because they can't concentrate or because this, because they're anxious about life. A lot of the families that I photographed recently in Florida who lost kids due to fentanyl, they were giving Adderall to their kids by the time they were seven, eight years old. Almost all you know, of them. You know, Jonathan, they wanted to prescribe Adderall to my oldest son and we were when he was like in first or second grade. And we were called in by his teacher and they all were trying to pitch this to us. And we said, no, absolutely not. I don't care how hyper he is. How forgetful he is. He's not taking speed, which that's what that is, exactly. you know. And one teacher stood up and said, I don't think he needs it. He goes, I just think he's in his head a lot. He's thinking a lot. And that's who he is. That's really who he is. But we were strong enough parents and educated parents enough to say, no, educators, teachers, you're not giving my son drugs at the age of seven or eight years old. Yeah, I mean, over time, the, the brain rewires, so you do get addicted. And then when they get older, it's very common within the fentanyl issue. Some of, a fair amount of these kids were already doing prescription drugs legally, and the, the rest is, you know. 
Only two to five percent, they don't even know, but officially it's between two to five percent of people who do hard drugs regularly come off them per permanently. That's it. Which means that 98% of the others, they die eventually, or they just continue for decades doing heroin, crack, whatever the hell they're doing. That's only 2% success rate, five at best. Not a good number. Well, you know, the thing is, we were, we were raised with the just say no. How ridiculous of a drug policy is that? Just say no. Do you remember that, Professor Mike? Oh, yeah, that was uh, Nancy Reagan back in the yeah. uh, Reagan administration. Just say no. It was terrible. You know, and we saw it on the street that, you know, they tried to make the drug, uh, the drug problem a law enforcement problem. And I think in years to come, they've seen that it really shouldn't be a law enforcement problem. It should be more of a social service problem. That's right. But public they're always going to, yeah, public health, they're always going to interdict because people that use drugs and the whole drug trade is criminal. Let me play a little bit of this to show the national problem of this. Is sharing what it calls proof that fentanyl pouring across the border remains a serious threat. The Smith County Sheriff released this photo of 42,000 fentanyl pills discovered in a false compartment of a car during a traffic stop in Tyler on I-20 just a few days ago. The driver, who's from Mexico, was arrested and is in jail on a $2 million bond. And there's an overwhelming effort to educate all of us about the dangers of fentanyl. The federal government's high intensity drug trafficking area program is partnering with local communities to screen a documentary on that topic. Sorry guys, I think that uh, it's, um, we, we may have overloaded our, uh, <laughs> we may have overloaded our, um, Wi-Fi, so I'm going to yeah. remove this. So, um, yeah, so it's just showing the national and the international problem. Look at that, how they're smuggling this fentanyl in. And, Jonathan, just so happened the day after I read your article, there was an article in the New York Times, I believe I sent it to you, mm -hmm. uh, and, and it was basically saying that the, the drug addiction problem in New York City is just out of control now. And every three hours, someone dies of a drug overdose in, in New York City. And the medical examiner, the, uh, the New York City medical examiner, I, actually, I didn't even know his name. Um, he says that people that are using recreationally using, his name is uh, Dr. Jason Graham. He says folks that are recreationally using cocaine, they're not getting cocaine, they're getting fentanyl. And that's why they're trying to get Narcan uh, to everyone and to have, have it, you know, you can get it in a drugstore or uh, things even stronger than Narcan that can save people's lives that will not need a prescription. I mean, this is where we're at in the 21st century. You know, Billy, it's, it's just like the epidemic is there. We kind of know it's there. Uh, Jonathan talked about uh, the vast, vast uh, problem, whether it be China, Mexico, and then we have the tremendous addiction in the United States. But what I'm looking for is the answer. What's the answer to this problem? I mean, we have our eyes closed at the border, apparently, because the drugs are just uh, coming over. And, you know, there's major seizures on a daily basis. Every time you turn on uh, cable news, you'll see that they, you know, made a seizure of fentanyl. You just saw that report, 42,000 pills. And some of the seizures that they're making can kill millions of people. 
And, you know, it's almost like uh, we're asleep at the wheel. Well, the it's such a it's a three pronged uh, issue, and obviously, if the United States wanted to do something about it, uh, they would have to deal with Mexico. At this point, Mexico is itching towards becoming a cartel state. Uh, I mean, it's already active in some of its uh, regional power bases like the north or even like Veracruz area, Michoacan, Guerrero State, Chiapas now more and more and so on. So now the U.S. who has never, it's been a foreign policy for the United States for decades to lay the drugs be part of its foreign policy when it comes to uh, having these South American countries always a bit of balance. And that's the case for, for, for Mexico as well. And the reason is, is to have business partners down there in terms of nation states. But since they're all having drug issues, they were not able to fully become uh, powerful nations. I think that was definitely uh, um, a policy of the United States. Now it's backfiring. And in Mexico, it's a great example because Mexico has... It's so corrupted now in every layer of society that they're no longer really able to to control it. When you look at some of these cartels, you know, when they captured El Chapo's son recently in um, Culiacan, which is uh, on the Pacific coast, um, the the cartel there, they took hundreds of their troops, their troops by this point, heavily armed and started attacking military and they... They start uh, shooting at airplanes, landing at the, at the airport. They had the, the army had to send reinforcements. They were shot at too. They lost 12 killed or 20 killed, I forget. So there was a major proper urban battle going on for hours after this happened. That's not normal. And the United States is doing nothing and or very little and will pay for it. And obviously having a border, open border policy is a huge issue just for that. And this current administration will do nothing, whether they are boosted out of power in 2024 or they will, the Democrats win again. They will do nothing again for eight years because it goes against their ideology of open border policy. Now the consequences are grievous, but I know it's gonna sound hard, but uh, Americans voted for this White House. What do you want me to say? And now everybody's pissed off and they're like this and that. It's like, well, what did you expect would happen? Ideology, they tell you how they think. They tell you what they want. They tell you everything in front of your face. And now you're surprised that this and that is happening and it's not good for the U.S. I'm like, well, tough luck. You guys, we have to, we have to, people have to be rational once more and they're not. And emotions are running high, and I think everybody needs to calm down because it's becoming a real issue. You know, Jonathan, I know we spoke about, I showed this picture right here, and everyone, I think, that follows this has seen this picture, and it's just a police officer doing her job in a car stop, and somehow she got a whiff of fentanyl, and if they didn't have Narcan on the scene, she would have died. Yeah. So that's that's what we're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. Police officers... Dealing with this horrendous drug. But now there's more drug. There's a new kind of drug that's on the market now because I've been working a lot in Philadelphia and Baltimore recently. 
And it's called Trank. It's short for tranquilizer. It's like ketamine. Right, I saw that. Yeah. And I saw the results. It you, when you so it's even more addictive than fentanyl. They mix it with heroin, and when you shoot it up, you're it's so powerful that you, you you're basically like a dead corpse, and your heartbeat goes so low that when they come check you out because you're passed out anywhere for like ten hours, it's quite long. They don't really know if you overdosed or if you're just passed out. And I've seen guys shoot that on their bridge in Kensington. And the result was they were like corpses. So that's the new drug that's being being pushed. So it's mostly in Philly now, but you start to see in Baltimore. It's going to come to New York. It's going to be everywhere. And uh, I think also they have a new version of fentanyl coming up as well, which is even more potent than the one that's being used now. And the Mexican cartels are part of it, but you have a lot of small criminal organizations in Mexico that are getting into that cash cow. So what they're doing is they're getting together in small groups. They're cooking it anywhere because it's very easy to make. And then if they have the right contact, they could push into the U.S. It's just so much money to be made that a lot of people are getting on it. You know, I always maintained, and uh, Mike, you could comment on this after I uh, make this point is that it's the job of government to protect their people. And that means having good policing and make people feel safe within their neighborhoods. And especially this is like a national security issue, allowing this drug to be made in our neighbor to the south. And China, who is, you know, it seems like it imports almost everything into our country right now, a big trade partner. They're making the chemicals for this drug. And it's destroying our country, yet our government's doing nothing about it. To me, that that's horrific. Mike Geary, what do you think? Well, Bill, uh, like Jonathan said, we uh, we voted for this. In a democracy, you get what you deserve, unfortunately. And uh, it, this is this is ideology over pragma pragmatism. You got to be pragmatic in solving problems, and our government isn't. Um, as you, me, and Phil, we worked in the uh, in New York City at the height of the crack epidemics in the late 90s and the mid 90s to the early uh, mid 80s to mid early 90s and i could see uh, from what jonathan's saying it may just turn into the next couple of years we're going to have the we're going to have the crack wars version 2 2.0 where you're going to go back to um you know a thousand homicides a year 1500 homicides a year 2000 homicides a year and uh it's going to just destroy New York City all over again after all the work that has been put into it, trying to put it back together over the past 30 years. You know, Mike, I always uh, when when we talk about policing and I've talked with other cops and other people in this field and I'll say, oh, we don't want to get political. And I say the P in policing stands for politics. Absolutely. If you don't want to talk about politics, then don't be a cop because politics so affects this profession. Look, defunding. Oh, we can go on and on and on. You know, the laws that have changed that made this job so much more difficult. In New York City, we see bail reform. We see um, discovery being ridiculously unreasonable to the point where 90% of the misdemeanors in New York City are, are thrown out of court. They're just thrown out because they can't uh, they can't compete with the 15 days to, to present the discovery. All this stuff was done on purpose. So the perfect storm exists, Mike, for what yeah. exactly what you're talking about. We have the idiots in Albany that passed this bail reform 
and the, 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 the criminal justice reform, whereby 15 days you have to have all the evidence to the defense and the prosecution, they can't or won't do it because they're in on it too. And 15, 90% of the misdemeanors in New York City are being thrown out of court. You want to hear another scariest statistic? Last year, and I'm not, this isn't the exact number, but the NYPD made close to 3,000 gun arrests. One went to trial. One! One out of 3,000 gun arrests. 90% of those were thrown out of court. That is a scary, scary criminal justice system. Billy, can I just comment and piggyback what you're talking about? You're talking about the low-level misdemeanor crimes, which most of the time are related to either drug addiction or someone that is uh, trying to get drugs and they're, they're out trying to, uh, you know, to score some money to, to get high. Now, fentanyl, the real use of fentanyl is for surgical procedures. It's anesthetic. It was an anesthesia, much more stronger than morphine. So again, we're playing with fire right here now. And I think that the drug culture in the United States, what I mean by that is that there's a, a, a definite appetite for narcotics in this country, but instead of trying to stop it, we have many cities that have areas where junkies can go and they can shoot up. They give them needles. They're giving out crack pipes. Uh, we're legalizing marijuana in many of the state, uh, many of the states in the country. And I think that that's just encouraging the bad behavior, the narcotics use, and it's encouraging uh, the the appetite for narcotics. And when you have these other countries like China and Mexico see this type of stuff, uh, just like Jonathan said. Uh, they don't have to go to war with us. We're killing ourselves with these overdoses. So I, I think there was a great point there. And I, I think that uh, we have to sort of reject this kind of behavior, not encourage it. And I think all of these, you know, uh, the major cities, New York, Baltimore, L.A., Chicago, they have all these programs to, to like, you know, have uh, clean needles and, you know, safe spaces for narcotic use and legalizing of marijuana. Wrong message is being sent. You know, what said the world to me was when these illegal aliens came into New York City or they were bust in there by the mayors either from uh, or the governors from Texas, places that have had it, that weren't sanctuary cities. And they come here and they start making demands on our country when they're here illegally. That That's a broken system. If we put up with that kind of crap, we almost deserve what we get. It's unbelievable that they're complaining they're staying at some $500 a night hotel and they, they don't like it. You know, uh, you're not taking us out of here. We want to stay here for good. You know, it's just, and who's paying for that? Uh, you're are. looking at them. You're looking at us. Yeah. Mike, thoughts? Again, ideology over pragmatism. And uh, I don't know if people really understand uh, or remember now. What, what the crack wars did to uh, the populations in like the Bronx and, and areas of Brooklyn, that was horrific. Um, and it was just insane, the number of young men who died in these crack wars. Um, and most of them, and even now, today, they'll probably be uh, 85 to 90% of all the uh, guys killed are going to be young black men and young Hispanic men. That's and right. we're, we're killing people who we're trying to protect. We're saying we're trying to protect or interested in protecting, and yet we're actually um, going to allow them to be uh, slaughtered because of ideology. Ideology beats pragmatism every time. Stupid is stronger than smart. And, and we see it every day in cities like New York City. Absolutely. 
Folks, this is Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. If you like real crime stories from a police perspective, you're in the right place. And if you're not subscribed to us, go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and ring that bell. If you want to support us financially, we have a Patreon with three different levels, and you can support us that way. And we also have a YouTube channel memberships, which we have five different levels, and you can support us that way. And folks, we're also on Anchor, and I don't know if you, most of our listeners know this, but we're on eight listening sites. So you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, or you can just go to Anchor and pick which, which one you want to listen to. We actually have over 2 million listens on Anchor. So if you want to listen to us without having to go to your phone, you can go right on your radio in your car. It's available there. Guys, I also want to say a friend of mine, Dr. Maki Haberfeld, she was, he was a big friend of this show. She's doing a research uh, paper. And she's, she's written probably 21 academic books. She's a brilliant uh, professor at John Jay College. She was once an Israeli uh, police lieutenant. She's a, a hell of a lady. She's doing a research project, and this is only for retired police officers. That's the address of it on the screen. But I posted it on our website and also on our YouTube community post. So if you could take that only retired police officers, if you could take that survey, I'd really appreciate it. And so would Dr. Maki Haberfeld. Maki, if you're listening, I hooked you up. <laughs> so... Um, this is, you know, this is an unbelievable topic, and it's just, um, I, I wish that the people in this country would wake up and to, and see what's actually going on out, uh, out there. And, you know, when people in the suburbs get hit, and a kid that was an athlete, like the one we I read about in your story, Jonathan, uh, she starts taking, you know, painkillers for a sports injury or something. Next thing you know, she's fully hooked, and four years later, she's dead. You know, and this is coming to the suburbs. It's coming to an area near you. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. As uh, Michael was saying when he's referring to the crack war, from what I understand, it was still in more contrived areas. It wasn't all over the country. And uh, it's more urban, more urban areas. But now with fentanyl and all different kinds of prescription drugs, or even cocaine now, where it's become very democratically um, uh, open to to the public, because it got cheaper over time, uh, has now reached levels where the entire country is doing drugs. Um, I, apparently, about 12 to 15 percent of Americans do hard drugs on a, on a regular basis. That's, that's, that's a lot of people. And then you have a whole other groups who do it less regularly and so on and so forth. So um, it, to me, it, it's really an anthropological decline of what this country once was. And I'm saying this as a European uh, who I think Europe too is you know, on its way out, but for different reasons. Um, there was a time when people dealt with life and they were able to do so partially because the way they were raised and the way life was in general and just had to cope with life. Life would throw these curveballs at you and you had to deal with it. Now we've especially since the 1990s, I think was the big watermark, especially when it comes to uh, drug consumption, prescription uh, consumption especially. 
is the idea that you that you're a victim about everything. And when you start victimizing a population or individuals or either ethnic groups or different sexualities and so on, then you're entering a realm where people will start having demands about everything. And when you have demands about everything, it becomes a very narcissistic uh, environment where people decide ultimately that the only thing that matters is themselves and your country doesn't matter and not your family doesn't matter or anything that doesn't matter anymore. And now, in my opinion, you see the tail end of it. And you have that generation or 20 and younger who are incredibly narcissistic. Of course, social media didn't help. But we are very symbolic animals and we need greater things. We need to look upward. We need to look outside ourselves to, to better ourselves over the, the few decades that we have on this planet. But instead, people are just just shrinking within themselves, collapsing within themselves instead of looking outward. And our society is very much like that. And it's uh, it's very troublesome. You see it from the way people dress now. You see the way people behave on the subway. You see the way people behave in general. It's, it's very troubling. And like what the great Thomas Sowell said, the hardest thing to change is in people is what's inside them. And I think that's very true. In my opinion, if we continue like this, it's going to be, it's not going to be possible to, to reverse. So I think the drugs is just endemic of that. There's a lot of other issues. Drug problem, opioid related deaths in America topping more than 100,000 each year. In the U.S., it hit a record in 2021 with an average of one death every five minutes. But one group in Central Florida is on the front lines of the drug crisis, handing out life-saving medication. And this is not Narcan. Newsation's Brooke Schaefer had a chance to see them in action in a News Nation exclusive. She is live now in downtown Orlando. So, Brooke, what are they handing out? Yeah, Nicole, they went around downtown Orlando handing out these boxes of Quixado. It's like Narcan, but it's even more powerful. That is how critical the opioid crisis is here in Central Florida. Fentanyl is showing up in more drugs than ever before. The DEA calling fentanyl the deadliest threat to our country right now. 2022 saw record months for fentanyl busts across the country. The deadly drug is pouring in mostly from the Mexico border. Just weeks ago in Florida, a police officer suffered a medical emergency after reportedly coming in contact with fentanyl during a traffic stop. Overdose deaths in the U.S. are happening so frequently. Ashley Perkins got a text. Her friend died from an overdose just before our interview. It was just, I'm just letting you know we lost another one. And that's it. We don't even talk about it anymore. Oh, what happened? What was it? We know what it is. In Orlando, Florida, Project Opioid founder Andre Bailey suggests the fight against fentanyl isn't just at the Mexico border. It's in our nation's downtowns. Wherever young people are, we know there's going to be drugs and we know that we're going to lose lives every single day. So if this is from the first of the year. If, if that's not scaring uh, folks that are listening, uh, I don't know what would scare you. You know, it's not 
coming to a neighborhood near you. It's in your neighborhood already. And your kids know about it. It's in high schools. It's in junior high schools. I don't know if it's in elementary schools, but it's all over the place. And, you know, policy, drug policy. I mean, I, I don't, you know, I don't pretend to know all the answers. I don't. But it seems like what they're doing now is not working. You know, Billy, uh, I did a little bit of research before we went on tonight and I saw um, a news clip and it was uh, interviewing uh, people in a rehab. And one of the recovering addicts who was on heroin said that once fentanyl is added to the heroin, it makes the high uh, you crash quicker. So the high doesn't last as long. In turn, you're out there looking to get high to purchase more of the heroin. So it's more addictive uh, in turn. And again, uh, a lot of the dealers will lace marijuana with fentanyl to keep the people, they're getting this unknown high. They think it's from marijuana, but meanwhile, they're getting high off the fentanyl to keep them coming back and purchasing more. And they're sprinkling a little too much in and someone smokes a joint of marijuana or a line of cocaine or whatever it is, heroin or whatever pill that they're mixing. And they wind up dead. So uh, there was numerous stories, like you said, Billy, if you Google it, uh, you'll see young people. The, there was one kid that was a, a sports uh, fanatic, played a lot of sports, had some injuries, uh, didn't want to go out with his friends four days before he was graduating college and uh, said, you know, my back's bothering me. I think I'm going to go on Snapchat or Instagram and see if I could get a, a Percocet. He wound up getting what he thought was a, uh, uh, can't think of the name of it, but it's like a tranquilizer. Anyway, uh, a Xanax. He thought he was getting a Xanax. Uh, never woke up. Took the Xanax. Never woke up. Uh, poisoned to death, trying to relieve pain in his back. It's unbelievable that they can sprinkle fentanyl in, you know, when like the New York City chief medical examiner said, if, if you're using recreational cocaine, you're not getting cocaine. You're getting fentanyl. That's a scary thing. Billy, can I uh, just follow up for what Jonathan made an observation? Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but Jonathan also touched a little bit on, on our culture and our culture for the past, you know, 25, 30 years has been a pain-free culture. Uh, doctors, you know, working with family practice and individual practices have been uh, encouraged by the pharmaceutical companies in the United States to en encourage the use of, um, uh, you know, uh, painkillers, uh, opiates, and uh, for everything, back pain, shoulder pain, you know, that sort of thing, for your quality of life. It was all about the quality of life, not curing you from whatever ailed you, but for, for your quality of life, to make your life pain-free thing. Um, and we found that out, that these sort of this sort of thing was going on. It was a huge thing that nobody talked about. Doctors were being encouraged by the major pharmaceutical companies to overprescribe these sorts of medications. We have a very addictive uh, culture. It's a culture of addiction. And we see the results of that is the people are, that are taking these uh, painkillers and things like that are used to taking over-the-counter, I'm sorry, uh, prescription medication. So, you know, uh, th uh, th other things for your kid, uh, you know, uh, and for other emergencies, um, they are, have already gone past the idea that should I take something? No, the idea is, okay, which am I going to take? We see the direct advertising towards consumers. Nobody's, they're not advertising to doctors anymore. You see all of these lifestyle narcotics that are on uh, television all the time with the, with the snappy uh, uh, and very attractive kinds of um, 
commercials. And it's just over the course of like decades, it's been like this galloping incrementalism of insidious, uh, you know, uh, advertisement and acceptance of narcotics in, in every uh, part of our lives. And we're paying dearly for it now. Yeah, America is definitely a drug culture. You know, Jonathan, I just wanted to um, address something that you said earlier that I think many people would probably find offensive, but that this is almost being done purposely to reduce the population. We had 109 uh, drug overdose deaths. Uh, is, was that in New York City or is that the, the nation? Nation, 109,000, Billy, 109,000. That's amazing. That's 109,000 people. That's amazing. And if your theory is correct, it's being done on purpose to reduce the population. I mean, that's pretty horrific. Right. So in terms of uh, population decline, that's that's happening all over the world, uh, apart from most Africa, Egypt. But most of the world is actually on the what they call a winter uh, demographic um, uh, curve. Uh, now the United States is also uh, going through that. It's a curve, so it takes you know twenty years. It takes a while. However, uh, that being said, um, I'm of the opinion that the progressive ideology is a, is an ideology of death, and uh, the reason why I'm saying that is, if you are for life, like they say they are then they should not be applying these policies that we're talking about. For instance, there are two major schools of thoughts when it comes to dealing with addiction. One of them is called harm reduction. I'm sure you guys have heard of it. So a lot of uh, NGOs have been popping out throughout the land, uh, and you see them a lot in Kensington. People in their 30s and 20s, pretty young, and they're very progressive highly progressive. I mean, they're brainwashed. They're not even thinking. Anyway, <laughs> they, 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 I mean, I deal with them. Yeah, like, you, happen, you happen to be right. I think they, that this whole generation has been brainwashed by academia. Uh, you know, the, all the professors are from that whole, you know, woke ideology. And if someone speaks against it, they get fired from that school. Even when I taught college, I was baffled by seeing what was written in the textbooks. I was like, who the hell wrote that? I mean, it was really politics in the lesson plan, which, of course, I refused to teach. But some of the outrageous things they were preaching in the textbooks, I was like, this is, in fact, this is some woke nonsense. <laughs> Do you see that too, Mike? Yeah, you, 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 you see this because the professors have gotten their, you know, PhDs from universities where it's accepted and it's expected that you will follow this you know, idea, line of thought. If you don't follow the line of thought, you can be marginalized within your discipline. Look at Barry Weiss. She was a writer for the New York Times. She started calling them out on certain, and she didn't consider, she considered herself actually a liberal, but she said if she didn't write to their, what they wanted, they would chastise you and make it known that you're not writing what we want. And she eventually quit with a two or three page, really disdainful letter to the head of the New York Times saying, this is a joke. And if you read the New York Times, to me, it reads like an op-ed, the whole paper. <laughs> Billy, can I make, uh, just follow up on what Jonathan said? Sure. Yeah, uh, Jonathan, you mentioned about the number of deaths in the United States, 100,000. And I was just 
thinking about World War II, we lost uh, over 400,000 combat deaths in less than four years. 400,000. And if you consider this a war on the United States, it's the same number of deaths per year. And we're not in a shooting war. Yeah. 400,000, uh, you know, men, women uh, in, in, in a war that it's been declared against us. And we're actually part of it. We're actually part of the problem. 100,000 is huge. Yeah, it's increasing. I mean, it's probably more. In my, from my estimation, we're probably closer to 150, 140,000. So some numbers are more official. We're going to 120,000 last year. It's increasing. Obviously, uh, the opi- the um, I'm sorry, the um, the pandemic increased that, but it was already an upward um, oh, sure. projection. It just made it faster. Um, that being said, uh, I, I wanted to to circle back a little bit to go back to the harm reduction. It's important that we talk about that because. This ideology, basically, from the, these you know people in their thirties and twenties who work in these drug areas, they provide needles and they provide everything clean. They provide a safe area for people to shoot up, but they also provide drugs for them, clean drugs without fentanyl, without tested drugs like heroin, for example. But when you talk to them and you tell them what is the purpose of what you're doing? Very simple question. And they'll tell you, well, we we are trying to combat the drug problem. It's like, but you're giving drugs to addicts. How you, what is the logic? When you try to be very simple and logical and critical, you will ask them that question and they will tell you, well, that's the way we feel because they always feel, they don't think, they feel. <laughs> but uh, this is that. the best way so to- true. It, yeah, it's always about feelings. Uh, and this is the best way for us to combat the drugs. You're giving drugs to addicts. The fact that you give clean needles, I can get that. So they don't get AIDS and hepatitis. I get that. But you're giving drugs to them. So you're basically telling them you can do clean drugs. That's fine. I think it doesn't work. When you go to Baltimore, you have less of these people. You have more of the religious organizations. So I work with them a lot on the streets. And they, they don't like harm reduction. Harm reduction don't like them. And this more religious aspect of the drug issue is trying to bring people off the street and through religion or in all kinds of ways trying to to get them off the drugs, which is actually working a little better. Uh, so that's important for people to know the two schools of thoughts when it comes to uh, addiction. You know, uh, Jonathan, uh, in New York, under the previous governor, Cuomo, they legalized marijuana and now it recently hit the streets. And an unfortunate thing happened. They thought that by providing a legal, legal marijuana that it was going to put the dealers out of business. It did the exact opposite. Smoke shops popped up all over the city because it was so highly taxed. It was cheaper to get it from uh, the illegal dealers. So again, the harm reduction, they're thinking of it in those terms, but they're also thinking in terms of tax revenue. And again, I think we're completely, completely sending the wrong message in this country, city by city. And, you know, we'll talk about the numbers all day, but uh, it, it just is in an upward trend for sure. And uh, I think it's a real problem. I think when it comes to marijuana, uh, you, I, I have talked to many addicts uh, on my various trips, and uh, I would say half of them told me they started doing smoking weed, and then they were saying that got them onto harder drugs. 
it's not all of them, but a significant minority of them do admit that they start smoking weed and drinking, and then they got into something harder. So um, it does send a wrong message for our youth. I mean, now it smells like weed all over the place, and these shops are popping out. This is not, a, this is definitely not the right way. Obviously, they want to collect taxes. But I don't know. I mean, if everybody's getting stoned and no one's going to be want to be working, who's going to be paying the taxes, you know? So I don't think you'll be able to level off like this. Um, and also, and I'll finish with this, um, the Amsterdam experiment through the 80s and 90s where they were legalizing, you know, pretty much most drugs. All, it became a flood of people came from all over the world to do drugs, you know, smoke weed in the coffee shops, do heroin or crack or mushrooms or whatever. And um, they actually, they saw it wasn't working. Actually, people were doing more and more drugs, so they actually got more and more restrictive. That was a good example for us not to do what we're doing, unfortunately, you know, when it comes to ideology, people are not using you know, rationale anymore. Failed you know, the, the, the perfect The perfect storm exists for, you know, like you say, Jonathan, civilization going down because we were all trained, all three of us here that were on the NYPD, in something called broken windows style policing, which was thrown right out the window once we got that moron de Blasio. Uh, he took, in eight years, he destroyed this city, destroyed just all of the gains that we took in crime against drug addiction, homelessness, mental illness, all the gains we had, he he totally obliterated in his eight years. In the first four, he set he set the foundation for it. And his next four, he just completely destroyed the city. And now, even with the new mayor, who's no crime fighter, this guy Adams, he was a police captain, but he was really not really a cop. He was an activist when he was a cop. And I'll say it right out because he's now pretending he's a cop, but he really was never a cop. He, he now is trying to like, pull the reins in because he sees the city's getting out of control. When you see the violence that we see on the subways, when you see crimes that didn't happen during uh, the, the the years of Ray Kelly and the years of Michael Bloomberg, who just followed the blueprint, that's all he had to do, follow the blueprint. When you see crimes like carjacks, carjackings, carjacking, that word Kate, went out of the vernacular for a while because they weren't happening anymore. It's back They're now. Back. They're back now. You know, arm stickups of restaurants, of bodegas. You know, I'll use the word bodega because people from across the country don't know what it means. It means delicatessen, really. But we use the word bodega. But we're seeing crimes that we weren't seeing. Now they're back. And it's like once you take your foot off the gas, overnight things can change to disorder. It's either order or disorder. What do you want? Do you want disorder? You got it. But guess what? All the people who want order, where are they going? They're going to leave the greatest city in the world. And that's what that's where I am now in Florida. But oh, people yeah. are fleeing to Florida because they don't like the politics in New York. You've got a governor who's woke. You've got a mayor who's woke. You know, you got the city council who's off the charts. They're not even woke. They're beyond that. And then you got the state assembly who did the criminal justice reform, again, has contributed more and more than even those other three people or three entities I just named. They did more to destroy New York City than anybody with their criminal justice reform. Sorry I got on my soapbox, but I had to. 
No, but I, I think I'll just do so. I'll just follow through what you just said, um, Bill. Is what people have to understand is people who disagree with us or listening or on the fence. Let's say is that the, the people that we're talking about who are in charge now, uh, they will always double down. And they will continue, and they will always surprise us in some ways because they will go further and further into their pro progressive ideology. I'm going to give you an example, which I'm sure none of you have heard yet because I just found out. This is in Norway. This was a big article in Europe, and the... Um, they, they talked about it, but you know, who's listening? They want to use, they're considering it, they want to use um, the body of a woman who's, who has been brain dead, but the organs still work, to use her belly to, uh, to for, so uh, women who can't have kids can use that belly to, to have a child. So basically you can use a, a corpse of a woman Who's brain dead, but her organs are working, and have her get pregnant, and you can, and she would give birth, and you can have that child. This is progressive ideology. This is the next step. Now, uh, this sounds crazy, but they are considering this. Now, on the lesser uh, level, they want to legalize heroin in Western Canada. I don't know if you heard about this. They're going to do a three-year program. I forget one of the Western states, whatever it is, doesn't matter, but. Sorry, I shouldn't say that, but um, and uh, they it's so it's taxpayers' money for three years. There'll be a report at the end, which obviously will be in favor of it, where people can use legally as they see fit heroin. If you don't think this is a destruction of who we are as Westerners, then either you're very naive or very stupid. And you have enough stupid people out there in the Western world to think that it's okay and it doesn't matter at the end. And I'll say to these people, wait until it hits one of your kids and then we'll talk. Because when it's close to home, then maybe you'll change. But I can always say to people who disagree with me or changing or agree more and more, it's like, where have you been the past 30 years? Now you're just waking up where we are at the state we're at now. Little, little, little too late, and I have very little sympathy because you, we have been warned. The, the the signs have been on the wall for decades, and now people are just, you know, they're not happy with Biden. Well, what did you expect? You know, where were you during the the campaign? Like you guy couldn't speak; he's mentally completely broken, and you want that as president, and now you're not happy. You're an idiot. So, you know, and you voted for him and, you know, and now you're unhappy and you want to go down to Florida or Texas because people don't bother you. You know, uh, that's why, well, you know, like Jonathan, I don't know if you also uh, talk about, uh, you know, the ideology and just the ethics of the world. In Canada, there's a very loosely, it's almost like euthanasia. If you don't want to live anymore, you can go to this place and yeah. ask to be put to basically like a dog, be put yeah. to death, be put to put to sleep. There's and it's, I, I, maybe I'm over over exaggerating, but I, it's very you're close. Not, it's, you're not. And there's a great movie you predicted this. It's called Sword and Green. Which thank you. Yes, I saw that. Yep. And, you know, they have no use for old people, so they turn them into little packages for food to feed the rest of the population. That's right. These people will think like that eventually. 
Now, euthanasia is the ultimate thing. In my opinion, that these people are evil. And uh, where does it end? And now you can euthanize. They're thinking about euthanizing young teenagers in, in Belgium. I don't know if you heard about this. No. You know, like we say in France, Belgium is a non-country. So anyway, <laughs> uh, it's a path for invasion mostly. And um, we, this, is what, this is what we're dealing with. Now, what I'm very worried about is that the conservative movements in the West, in Europe or here, they're not doing anything or very little. And uh, that's what I'm worrying about. If the idea of courage is today only the idea of going against progressive, that's not courage. That should be a given. And the fact that we're not doing that enough, that we're not unified enough to, do, to, go, to go against them is uh, it's scary. You know, Jonathan was. I, I remember I saw Soylent S O Y L E N T Soylent Green. Wasn't it with um, Charlton Heston? Yes. Yes, but it was. It's an old movie. It's a. Yeah. I mean, probably 30, 40 years old. Forty years so, ago, right? I think it was like in the eighties. Yeah, seventies or eighties. That that's forty years ago. You know, and yep. Uh, yep. I remember I saw that. Yeah, and, and scary, scary thought. But you know, I just wanted to comment also, like some of the craziest people are these billionaires that go to that world economic forum they're mm -hmm. all talking about get you know uh green gas houses you know the uh the ozone layer and they're all flying there in private jets and they're all they all own 10 homes 40 cars seven boats and their own private jet but they they want you not to use carbon but they can use as much as they want so it's these people are dangerous you know in new york now for all the new construction there are new rules they cannot use natural gas to heat up or use the stove or anything like this you have to use electricity but electricity is so much more expensive so it's a computer bracket so you're going to pay into 20 to 30 to 40 percent more on your energy bill because it's electrical and ele electricity is not it pollutes as well. It comes from coal, and we're not building nuclear plants. So where we're we getting it from? It's like <laughs> it, it's lunacy. There has to be some bigger goal to it. Like you said, that, that there was just that idea. Let's get rid of gas stoves. It's causing asthma. When they've been around for hundreds of years, all of a sudden it's just yeah. like we got to kill cows because cows are farting all over the universe <laughs> and causing, uh, that's they call cow flatulence. That's the yeah. medical term for a cow farting. And that causes greenhouse gases. And we got to kill all the cows and let's just, let's just eat granola and, uh, you know, and green vegetables, you know, Billy, there's a common denominator with all of the things we're talking about. And the common denominator is power. How would it benefit people if they legalize heroin in three states up in Canada? It's only going to make the people, uh, you know, uh, the, the reliant on government, dependent on government. It makes the government more powerful. Um, and I don't think that, uh, you know, th that's going to benefit people in any way, shape or form. The people of Canada probably don't want this. I, I think these ideological politicians come up with these ideas. And again, the common denominator is power. It's much easier to control the masses if they're all stoned on heroin. And and we, we talked about the failed experiment in Denmark where, you know, they were using the narcotics, legalizing it, and it obviously turned bad. And then they, uh, they changed the laws. So, I mean, we have... Uh, we have statistics to show that these type of policies don't work. Why would we go down that road again for power? 
Police off the cuff supports Joe Murray. Joe Murray, attorney at law, have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He literally knows both sides of defense. His website is jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702. Or you could email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. You almost got me on that one, Billy. <laughs> almost. You know, Jonathan, it's funny. I Before, before the pandemic, uh, I did, I did stand-up comedy for like seven years. Uh, and I was, you know, acting. I was trying to, you know, just letting my hair down and trying everything, you know. And here I was. A, I think I started, I was like 57 years old or whatever. So I'm hanging out with all these kids. <clears throat> the common denominator was always with these kids was like, oh, I want comprehensive this. I want comprehensive that. I want free this. I want. F I was like, you haven't even worked a day in your life. Why don't you shut up? You shouldn't get comprehensive anything. You need a comprehensive job, you know? And then it would be like, I was the mean old guy, you know? I, like, Who taught you that? That you need comprehensive this, comprehensive that. Here, take this pickaxe and shovel. Go across the street and go help those construction workers, you know? It's like crazy. Mike, you must hear the same thing in college. Oh, it's it's a generational divide, you know. Um, that you know, the, it, there's this continuing acceptance of slightly more and more and more control day after day, year after year, by government. And as Friedrich Nietzsche said, absolute power corrupts absolutely. The more power you give up, it, you'll never get it back. And if the, you could hook kids on narcotics, hook them on government control, government handout in Canada, United States, or Europe, it's it's only just going to make the people more and more dependent. It's a downward cycle. And it's, it is unfortunate because it's it's con, it's constant and continual and eventually will be complete control of the masses. And uh, we'll have gotten there voluntarily ourselves as, as a society. And that's really the saddest part of it all. Yeah, I agree. In France, we have a, a term for this. We call this soft dictatorship. Yeah. And the West is going into that trend. And it's true that it's been very gradual. And there are different forms of, um, of dictatorships. You have the very common ones from the 1930s and 40s, which is very, outs very outspoken in where it's, it's done and wages war. But this one is very dangerous because... Um, it's been very gradual for decades and it's, you get used to it and then they turn the knob a little more, a little more. And now we're, we are where we are. So yeah, people have to wake up to, for this. And I mean, some are, and obviously everybody's arming up in some states. And that's why the federal government is trying to get rid of assault rifles because they're afraid of civil war. They're not doing it because it's killing people because of crime. They're doing it because they know they will have a guerrilla war that they will never win. And the army would not kill its own anyway. So uh, that's why they're doing that. And that's why people are arming up. And that's why uh, this country is highly div divided. And this country doesn't seem to have digested the civil war of the 1860s. And uh, we should have to be very careful because there's one thing that history has taught us is it stutters. And it will always bring us to a direction we haven't thought about because you think that things will last forever or we'll never be in a war and I'll always be comfortable and I will always have this and that. And then you wake up one morning and it's not the case anymore. So 
it's a good reminder to everyone that's listening to us that we have to be very mindful that the reason why America was a great experiment and many people have been coming here for a few centuries now is because number one, we have, we were free. And second, the right of, of ownership of property and no one can take that away from you. The government cannot, you can fight back. And that's something in Europe that we didn't really have. And that's really, that was a great American invention. The French Revolution helped with that a bit. And uh, we're losing that. And, um, you know, you, you know, Michael, you were saying why people are, are not responding more. And I think it's because it's much more comfortable being a coward than being courageous. And when you're cowardly and you're kind of hunched in and you're just going through the motion and you're just bowing to whatever comes your way, it's much more comfortable and easier than just risking your life or risking something. Absolutely. That's why a lot of people uh, were afraid of being expelled on their social media will agree and apologize publicly because they said this or they said that 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. You know, Jonathan, you want to see something scary. Watch the, the goofballs from Twitter that were the executives be interviewed now in Congress. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievable what they did and how they silenced people sure. and how they were working with the FBI. <laughs> the FBI was working with them to silence certain people and they were working with our government and they saw nothing wrong with this because they were silencing people they did not agree with. Scary, right, Mike? They busted th through that wall of self-control and become part of a totalitarian state. Our First Amendment, one of the most important things we have about our nation is our First Amendment right to speak freely and, and be free from, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, kickback from the government. And here you have a government who can't do it themselves, but they use they use third parties to help control the the national um, uh, thought process. You know, First Amendment democracy it is supposed to be uh, rough. It is supposed to be challenging. It is it's supposed to be somewhat a little bit cynical and not trusting the government, putting the government to a test to make sure that when the government says something or does something. It is truly in our best interest and not in someone else's best interest. And yet you have the government acting through a third party and helping a third party, uh, Twitter and, and Facebook and things like that, to actually suppress uh, political dissent and political discussions that they don't agree with in the United States. That is sick and demented and deplorable in our democracy. And that is that it, it, we're turning into something other than a democracy. Absolutely. You know, guys, we're at an hour and 10 minutes. I'm going to give, uh, we're going to have one go around and last final thoughts. Phil, I'm going to start with you. Final thoughts. Well, uh, this is uh, kind of uh, a little bit of a depressing show when you see the problem that exists in this country with fentanyl. Uh, we discuss so many different uh, aspects of it. And uh, I just hope that there's going to be some awareness and people will wake up and, and we have to uh, attack this problem uh, at many different levels. Uh, obviously, from where it's coming from, uh, we need treatment programs in the United States. Uh, we need enforcement. Uh, but we're not going to go anywhere until the politicians will open their eyes and address the problem. Uh, God help us is uh, really the only thing I could say at this point. And, uh, you know, uh, thank you for coming on, Jonathan. Uh, you're 
you're been very very helpful in uh, you know informing us and informing uh, everybody that watches uh, the show tonight and uh, read your, your books and your articles. Thank you, Mike. I'm going to go to you, and then I'm going to finish okay. with Jonathan. I just want to say uh, to echo Phil's sentiments, Jonathan. Thank you very much for coming on. Um, I just want to quote uh, a great president, Ronald Reagan. Um, he said the uh, the scariest phrase in the world is. I'm from the government and I'm here to help you. <laughs> so uh, Boy, I'll leave that it at that. That's so true. Jonathan, final words. Yeah, I'll just be very brief. Uh, I think the U.S. is losing its way. And uh, for things are very obvious where we're going right now and how it's happening. And I think people not just need to wake up, but they also need to courageously fight against it. And they need to uh, to get together and uh, and rebound because um, we'll all pay the price for it. So that's why I got to say to everyone listening. So. 100%. I want to thank Jonathan Alpiri tonight. Uh, he's, he's actually a very courageous guy. If you followed his work, uh, you followed he's uh, been embedded in wars. He's a great writer. He's a good guy. I like the way he thinks, you know, and um, – you know, it is scary. Some of these look, look at this is one of the best shows probably we've done this year. Look how many people are watching. I think we maxed out at about 130 people. We do a topic that is trending, and sometimes we have 3,000, 4,000 people in the chat. You know, and this is one of the most important topics right now. It's so important in every country because it's interconnected with so many different things. So, folks, you guys that did join us tonight, I want to thank you. Uh, Thanks for coming by. And again, thanks to Jonathan Alpieri for being our guest. Thank Folks, have a great night. Be safe and God bless. Stay safe, everyone. Take care, guys. Nice meeting you all. Bye-bye. Bye, Jonathan. Good night, Jonathan. One episode, just ain't enough.